Yo, yo, what is up? What is up, Salt Company? How we doing? So I actually, I, I did my first wedding in December, and my friend did a wedding, like two years previously to that. And, uh, you know, the bride walks down, and then he just starts the wedding, and then he doesn't tell anybody to sit down. And so they stood the entire wedding. And so when I did my friend's wedding in December, that was like the one thing I just wanted to make sure I, did, I didn't do, make sure that I didn't have everybody stand the whole time. So, um, yeah, I didn't do that. They sat down. So, thanks, Dylan and Seth, for seating us down. Uh, my name is Timmy, and I'm the SALT director here. If it's your first time to SALT, welcome. We are super glad that you're here. I want, I want you guys to think about a time where you put your confidence in something that maybe you shouldn't have. So, maybe, maybe recently you, you, you were feeling really good about your, your basketball knowledge of the NCAA, and you thought that your bracket would be enough to beat all your friends, and you put some money down, and you, like me, lost it very quickly. Did that happen to anybody? Just me and Sean and, and Sam and Connor. The rest of you, y'all are smarter than us. Well, uh, when, when I was younger, I had these two friends named Rudy and Josh, and when we were in high school, uh, they, were, they were, first off, they were like the craziest friends that, that I ever hung around with, and we would always do just stupid things together. But this, I grew up in Louisiana, and one day we were kayaking on the river. Not, not too stupid, um, but the story goes, all right? And, and we needed to load the, the two-person kayak up afterwards, and so we get Rudy's truck. But here's the problem. We didn't have any straps. And so I'm no, like, physics expert, but, but I think, you know, I weigh 150 pounds at the time. That's how, that's how much I weighed as a, as a junior in high school. Soaking wet, a buck 150, and, and this, this kayak's only 75 pounds. And so if I hang on to it, like, we should be good. So they're like, Tim, get in the back of the truck. And, and me being the 17-year-old idiot I was, was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. Now, I, I wasn't an idiot for, for trying this. Like I said, like, this, a, normal, a normal three people could, could do this task, and it would be totally fine. The problem was who was driving the truck. I mean, as soon as I said, all right, we're good. It was just pedal to the metal, and the, I clutch the kayak as hard as I can, and it just starts to go, and it's going, and I don't let go, and I'm hanging on with everything, and just bam! I hit the, the asphalt, and all of a sudden, I'm going 20 miles an hour on the asphalt. I'm just bleeding profusely. I got a yeah back there. Bleeding everywhere. It was, it was brutal, and my friends are just like, oh, dude, you okay? What happened? I'm like, you guys are idiots. That's what happened. So, um, Two things that went wrong. One, that I, I had my confidence in my weight and my strength being able to hold this thing down. And then also I had, had confidence in those, those knuckleheads who were driving the truck. But I want to get a little more serious. I want you to think about, okay, this is, this is a, hard, a hard term, but let's get deep. Let me ask you this. None of us are promised tomorrow, let alone even, even the rest of, of today. The reality is, is, is this life is not all there is, and we are not going to live forever. And so if you died and you stood before God today, Hebrews 9.27 says that just as it is appointed for man to die once, like we all have our day where we are going to die, and then after this comes judgment. There's going to be a day where we stand before God, the creator of the universe, and we stand before him, and we are going to be judged. And if that happened to you today, and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? 
Think about that for real for a second. What would be the thing that you would say to God that, would, that maybe your confidence is in right now? For some of you, when you hear that, it kind of terrifies you. Thinking of that day really freaks you out. Maybe some of you here, you feel pretty good about that day. You think you've lived a pretty good life. You've been kind to the people around you. People speak well of you, and so God will probably accept you. But really, I want you to write down what it is that that would bring you confidence in your notes if you're taking them right now as you think about that day where you stand before God. Because there's three things that I think that Paul wants us to see tonight as we open up Philippians. And the first is that you are not enough. The second is that Christ alone is enough. And the third is that the loss is worth it. The loss is worth it. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Philippians. We'll be in chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue one on the floor underneath your chair, your neighbors. You can go ahead and grab one of those. And I wanna say it's page 571 in one of those Bibles. And real quick too, if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. You can have it. We'd love for you to, to read it and mark it up. So it is all yours. But again, we are in Philippians chapter three, and we will start in verse one. And before we do that, I would just love to pray. God, I, th- I thank you so much just for the opportunity for us to, to gather together to worship Jesus and make much of him. For us to get to open up the word of God that you've given us that we have access to right now in our language. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word tonight. That you would show us that though we are not enough, Jesus is enough. And we would trust you. Amen. All right, Philippians 3, we will start in verse 1. Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So real quick, let's get the context of what, of what is happening. Anytime you read the Bible, uh, it's good to understand who's writing, who they're writing to. That way, when you go to, to pull truths from Scripture, you're not making it say what you want it to say. You can get in trouble that way. So, so Paul is the author of this letter, Philippians, and he's writing to a church that he himself started over a decade previously to this point. And right now, Paul is in prison in Rome, and the reason he's in prison is because he's a follower of Jesus, and he's telling people how they can have life in Christ, and the people didn't like it, and so he's in prison. He's literally in chains for being a follower of Jesus, and here's what he says. He tells them to rejoice in Christ, and, and what I'm about to tell you is, is, is to be a safeguard for you. It's for your benefit, and then he gives them this warning. Look at verse 2 and 3. He says, look out for the dogs Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So you're like, what the heck did I just read? Dogs, evildoers, circumcision. What is this about? Here's what's happening, guys. So there was these these Jewish false teachers, and they were teaching that in order for you to be acceptable to God, for you to be right with God, for him to, to let you into heaven, for you to, to be in right standing with God, that, that it wasn't just Jesus. You had to be circumcised plus Jesus, plus works. 
That's what you needed to do. And you can read about them in Acts 15, verses 1 and 2. It says, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are, un- unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas, they had no small dissension and debate with them. So they hated that message because it's totally wrong. See, these guys are teaching that it's, it's Jesus plus something plus works equals salvation. Jesus plus circumcision will make you right with God. And the real equation, guys, is Jesus plus nothing. And now Paul is taking this pretty seriously. Notice he calls them evildoers, dogs, those who mutilate the flesh. It sounds harsh. Now, I want you to think about a time when someone has given you information that was false. Was that, was that helpful or was it harmful? I'm guessing for most of you it was, it was harmful. Uh, I've been married for almost five years now to uh, a beautiful girl named Lindsay. She's actually not here tonight. This is the first time I've ever preached without my wife, which is kind of weird. It's a little sad, but um, she's on her way to Arizona on a black bachelorette trip. Whoa, there we go. Has, has it been really quiet the whole time? And nobody said anything? You guys are the worst. Um, okay, this is way better. I noticed it when Dylan was talking. I was like, every time, did y'all notice that? When Dylan talked, I almost grabbed the different one. Well, my bad. Um, okay, Lindsay, we've been married for five years. She's awesome. If you've met her, you know that, that, that she's for sure like way out of my league and I don't deserve her at all. But because she left this, I'm gonna throw a little shade and, and re make sure you edit this out of the Spotify so that she doesn't hear this. Um, I wanna share a time where Lindsay told me some, some information that was false and how it, how it was very harmful to me in my day that day. So first off, I think there's, there's, there's two types of people. I was explaining this to Dylan yesterday. I think there's people who rarely lose things and then there's people who lose things very often, okay? Believe it or not, like you look at me, you probably would think, yeah, I lose things all the time. I actually don't lose things that much. But when I do lose things, I kind of lose my mind. And, and here's my theory, that, that the people who lose things often, it's no big deal when they lose their wallet or their phone because that's like the lifestyle they live in. And it's, am I right? Is that, is that, raise your hand if that's you. And, okay, and if you're more like me, on this end of the spectrum to where you, you rarely lose things, what happens when you lose something? You freak out. It's the worst, okay? Yes. So um, we get married. I think at this point we've been married like a, a year. And I would always keep my fingernail clippers on the third shelf in my closet all the way on the left side, okay? Stay with me. Third shelf, closet, left side. It's not that hard. That's where they belong, right? Well, one day I go to, to go cut my fingernails. And I go, third shelf, left side, and they're not there. And so instantly I, I very sweetly go, what? <laughs> did you use my fingernail clippers? And she goes, yeah, I, uh, I put them in my makeup bag, which is, if you're a guy, that's the worst thing that you can hear. Let me explain. Have, have any of you guys ever like sifted through a makeup bag? I call Lindsay's the makeup bag of doom. Have, have, am I, okay, yeah, you probably shouldn't. None of you are married. Uh, if you, one day, Lord willing, you get married and you have to sift through your wife's makeup bag. Just remember this, okay? It's like the worst thing possible. I don't know how many items can fit in, like at least a thousand Lindsay's makeup bag, okay? And so I'm on my hands and knees, <laughs> praying to God and sifting through my wife's makeup bag, looking for these fingernail clippers. And I, are you sure they're in here? And she's like, she's like, yeah, yeah, they're definitely in there. That's where I put them. And so I have to dump everything out. And so I'm like, 
are you figuring out? No, you're not. Are you, I don't know what you are. Are you, you know, and I'm going through everything. And then finally she walks in and she goes, oh, here they are. And there they were on the second shelf on the right side. Okay. And, uh, and, and that cost me, cost me like a lot of frustration and like 10 minutes of, of agony. Okay. Because I'm on the end of the spectrum where I rarely lose things. Uh, but these false teachers, guys, uh paul's calling them dogs evil doers those who mutilate the flesh he's talking very harshly because they're not just they're not just messing with things and 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 giving false information about something that doesn't matter they're teaching false information where people's souls are at stake and it's a really big deal Really big deal. That's why Paul takes this so seriously. Now, if I, if I had to guess, none of you have been told that in order for you to be saved and be acceptable to God, that you must, you must, guys become circumcised. I'm sure no girls have, y'all have never been told that, but guys become circumcised and then become Jewish and, 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 and then add some Jesus to your life and then God will accept you. I think the false message that you've heard goes more of something like this, that like God is up here on this mountain and you're down here, and as long as you do enough good, as long as you do enough good works, and you work your way up, then God will accept you. As long as your good outweighs your bad, and as long as you're better than the person next to you, as long as you don't do that sin, if you do that sin, then you're screwed. But, if, but as long as you don't do that, you're fine. I think you've been told false messages like that. Here's what Paul wants us to see. That if that's your mindset right now, that maybe you've walked in here tonight and your whole life you've been trying to do, do good things so that God will be happy with you. And it's heavy and it's weighty because you never know if you've done enough. And it's all on your shoulders. And it's crippling you and it's toxic. He wants you to see that you are not enough. Here's what he says in Romans 3.20. He says, for by the works of the law, no one will be justified in God's sight. That if your hope and your confidence is to trying to be good enough, to trying to obey the Bible and God's law enough, and then God will accept you one day when you stand before him, if that's what your hope is, here's what Paul says. He says, by the works of the law, no one, will be justified in God's sight. There is not a thing that you can do where you can earn God's love. There's not an amount that you can do where you can earn God's love. And this is not, this is not my words. I don't have the authority to, to just say this. This is God's words. This is in your Bible that you're holding right now. And that's hard for us to understand because we live in a culture where you have to earn, where it's all about how much you can perform and it's about how good you look. And that if you do enough good, if you're better than the person next to you, then, then God will be happy with you. Or, or maybe you've heard a message like, you can do whatever you want, and God just loves you, and he'll accept you. That's not true. My mom, she grew up terrified. Because her mom told her that in order for her to be right with God, she, her good had to outweigh her bad. 
And she, she asked her mom, well, how do I know? How do I know if I've done enough? She said, you won't, so try not to think about it. And my mom was terrified. That's not good news. And what Paul says is that, hey, I've tried these things. I've tried to live a life like these false teachers are saying. And here's what it led to. And he's done it better than all of us, by the way. We're going to see it in a second. Look at verse 4, 5, and 6. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Meaning that if anybody should have confidence in their works, in their flesh, in the things that, that they've achieved or their status, it's me. This is Paul. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Let me translate what this might look like in our context today. This is like saying, I was born in the right Christian family. My grandparents have always been Christians. My parents have always been Christians, and therefore I've always been a Christian. I grew up believing in God, my family did, but this family over here, they're pagans. They didn't grow up believing in God. I did all the Bible studies. I went to church constantly growing up. In fact, I was so good at obeying all the rules that I was a teacher to the teachers. If you ask me what's the worst thing I've ever done, I'd have a hard time thinking of anything. That's what Paul was trusting in before he was met by Christ. Some of you believe that you're in good standing with God right now because of your parents' faith or because you've always grown up going to church. Some of you believe that you would be accepted because you haven't done anything that bad. Maybe you were the kid at youth group growing up who, when they needed someone to speak to the group, they, they chose you. You were the one who looked apart and you were the one who had it together. If that's the thing you've been trusting in, Paul wants you to see that is not enough. Some of you think that you're going to heaven because, because you're a good Catholic. Because you grew up in a good Catholic family, at a good Catholic high school. Like Paul, you were the president of your, 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 your Catholic high school. And people thought that you were... The <laughs> Seriously. And people thought, if someone had it together, it's that person. Some of you think that you're saved, not because you were circumcised on the eighth day, but because you were baptized as an infant. And you think that that washed you clean. But these aren't my words again. This is God's word. It says, by the works of the law, no one will be justified in God's sight. And this is bad news for us because we all are going to stand before God one day. But for Paul, guys, his entire life before he was met by Jesus, it was all about what he did, all about how he looked, all about his status. And now you'll see in verse 7 that he calls all of those things crap. All that is nothing when compared to knowing Christ. All that was a waste of life. Look at verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted 
as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, that's Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Here's our second point. Christ alone is enough. Write that down. Christ alone is enough. Look at verse seven. He says, but whatever gain, when he talks about gain, he's talking about all those achievements that I listed earlier. Whatever earthly gain that I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Notice the things that used to bring Paul joy, the things that used to are a false joy or give him confidence. He now puts in the loss column. And what he used to think was a loss, which was Jesus on a cross, now that's the most valuable thing to him as possible. That's where his worth comes from. So what happened? Look at verse eight and nine. He says, for his, that's Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That word means dung or crap in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Okay, notice that word, righteous. And if you've tuned out this whole time, just, just, just tune in right here. That word righteousness that you see in there twice, um, that's what we need to be acceptable to God. You and I need righteousness, which is perfection, because God is holy and perfect. None of us here have righteousness in and of ourselves. Every single one of us has actually the opposite of that, which is sin. And God hates and detests sin because God is holy and good. And we like to view our sin first and foremost as against one another. But the reality is, guys, is our sin is first and foremost against a holy God. And that brings on huge consequences that we cannot pay. It doesn't matter the amount of religious games that you play. It doesn't matter the amount of times that you go to church. You need righteousness and you cannot earn it on your own. By the works of the law, no one will be justified in God's sight. But now there's the righteousness that Paul talks about here. And look where it comes. It comes through faith. It comes through faith in Christ. Recognizing that when we were far from God because of our sin, and God really was here up on this, this mountain, if you will. And our sin has separated us from God. And there is not an amount that we can do to earn our way up to God. But God looked at his son, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He looked at Jesus, the only one who could do anything about our sin problem because he was fully God. And he said, go, live the life that Paul's required to live. Live the life that Tim's required to live, that you guys are required to live. But we cannot because... We are imperfect. And Jesus 
went. He left the glories of heaven. He left the eternal riches that he had with the Father and relationship with the Father, and he went to earth, and he was perfectly obedient. Think about that for a second. Like one of the commandments in the Bible is, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You've heard that before? There's not one of us in this room who's been able to do that for a single second of our lives. And yet there wasn't a second of Jesus's entire life to where he didn't do that perfectly. All the way up to dying the death that we deserved for our sin against God. And he willingly went because he loves you. There was no way and there is no way for you to be made righteous apart from Christ. He said it. These are not my words. These are his. John 14, 6. Write that down. I don't have it on the screen, but Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. It is only through faith in him that we can have righteousness. We must repent and acknowledge that we are broken and we cannot do it on our own and that Jesus did it all. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what separates Christianity from every other religion. It's not a self-help message. You cannot help yourself. You need a savior. You need a substitute. And that's what you can have in Christ now. And if that wasn't your answer, Christ is begging you now to surrender to him, to repent of your sins and trust in him, trust in his finished work on the cross. Because three days later, God rose him from the grave, proving that that sacrifice was enough that Jesus truly is the son of God. And for all who believe in him, God promises to give eternal life. I'll say John 3, 16, because I didn't say it, but it's for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the good news. That's why I moved here. That's why I moved away from my family. That's why many of you in this room who came here to help start Salt Company moved away from your families and your friends so that Christ would be known and that you would have this message, that you would have life. The last thing I want us to see, guys, is that the loss is worth it. That's our last point. Write that down. The loss is worth it. And notice there is a loss. Like, I'm not going to pretend to you that there's not, there's, not a, there's not things that you lose in following Jesus. First, for Paul, he lost his, his, his status as a Pharisee, as someone who really looked the religious part, to where now he's in change. And he went through tremendous suffering for being a follower of Jesus. But it's worth it because this life doesn't last forever. These are Jesus' words, Mark 8. It says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. A cross is something you die on. You die to yourself, recognize you can't do it on your own, and you trust in Jesus, and you follow him. For whoever, verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Can we throw that on the screen if we have that one? It's okay if we don't. There it is. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels 
will save him. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man, that's Jesus, also will be ashamed when he comes in glory of his father with the holy angels. Following Jesus is going to cause loss in your life. I've been in college ministry for a while, and something that, that, that I'll hear said commonly is, is yeah, I, I want to follow Jesus, and, and I plan to, but right now I'm in school, and so like I'm going to do this thing, and then I'll work on my relationship with God later on in life. As if God is just something that we can just add to part of our lives. Guys, Jesus doesn't want just part of your life. He wants all of it. And if you follow Jesus, some of you here who are followers of Jesus and have trusted in him, it has cost lots of loss in your life already. Your, 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 your family may not look at you the same anymore. Your friends may not look at you the same anymore. Following Jesus may cause loss in your life in your academics, seriously. Now, it doesn't mean if you uh, made a D on your test, it's because you went to Salt Company. You made a D on your test because you spent three hours on social media, most likely. <laughs> but every time I face a difficult situation, and a choice. I end up losing out on something. If you want to be healthy and live a healthy lifestyle, then you lose out on the opportunity to eat junk food. But your health is worth it. When I chose Lindsay to be my wife, I forsook and lost out on all other women. But Lindsay is worth it. And when I chose Christ, I lost out on all the things that this world has to offer putting my hope in money, putting my hope in how I look, my life being my life. It's Christ. It was purchased by his blood, and he's king. And man, is it worth it. Guys, Christ desires all of you. He doesn't just want a part of you. And you cannot, you cannot love God and love the world at the same time. But we get this confused and we think, yeah, I can have Jesus over here. And then I can have these other things that I want over here. These other worldly pleasures that I want. And I can hang on to both. And Seth's brother, Stephen, that illustration he shared three weeks ago, if you're at Mercy Hill, just hits this and I'm going to share it again. And so he said something like this. Like, imagine it's, it's, it's my wedding day and I go through the ceremony and, um, you know, Lindsay and I say our, say our vows and we, you know, party and stuff. And then we walk down the aisle and then people are throwing rice and then get to the limo and I go and I grab Lindsay's face and I say, I love you so much. And then I open up the limo and there's all my ex-girlfriends in the limo. Pretty bad situation, right? Lindsay would have been like, what is this? What do you mean you love me? And I'm like, well, I do love you. I just want them to come with us. That's okay, right? Lindsay, I love you more than all of them, but I still want them to come with us, right? That's okay. I love you the most. You have the majority of my love, but I still want them. And she's like, no, if you love me, it's not enough, not enough if you love me the most. It's only enough if you love me only. 
you have to love me only. Real love requires exclusivity. And here's what Paul wants us to see, guys. That this world is passing away. You're not gonna live on this earth forever. The things of this earth do not last. They will not last. Jesus is the only thing worth living for. Even if it costs you your life, even if it costs you scars on your body, even if it means laying down your religiosity, even if it means walking away from a sinful lifestyle, even if it means laying down my desire to look good in the eyes of man. He counts all of that as loss that he might know Christ. He's looking at us, you and me right now, and he wants us to see that Christ alone is enough. The only thing that will satisfy us. I want to end with this, this quick story. There's a, there's a guy named Jim Elliott who was a, a missionary, and he went to Ecuador with four of his buddies. And um, they went to a tribe of people that anybody who had ever been there, they killed them. It was his native tribe in Ecuador. And he went there because he wanted them to have this good message. He wanted them to know that they could have life in Christ. And so they devised this plan, guys, where they would, where they would you know, drive this airplane and like drop them some gifts first just to try to like win some favor with them so that they would be able to have some kind of good relationship so when they'd land there, they could learn their language and then share the story of the Bible with them so that they could have a relationship with God because Jesus is the only way. And Jim Elliott and these four guys end up going to these, this people group. And on their second day with him, all these men of the tribe just killed him. They threw a bunch of spears at them, and all these, these five guys died. And they were armed. Every single one of them was armed. And they could have killed them. But they all said, I'm not going to kill someone who doesn't know Jesus. And if you haven't read that story, go look into that story. Jim Elliott's wife, who is also a Christian, Elizabeth Elliott, she ends up going to that tribe afterwards, and she forgives them, and she shares the gospel with them. And many of that tribe to this day are believers. And they now trust in Jesus, and they have life. And they aren't acting the same way that they used to because of Christ. But this was found in Jim Elliott's diary. He wrote this down, and I'm going to end with this quote. He said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Would y'all pray with me? Father, I thank you for men and women that you have saved, like Jim Elliott, who because of your grace knew that there was nothing in this life that could satisfy them. That the only way they could have life is in Christ and in him alone. Lord, I thank you for your son's sacrifice. I thank you that when I wanted nothing to do with you, and you knew I would live the first several years of my life rejecting you, you still sent your son to die for me. And Jesus, I thank you for dying in my place. I thank you, Lord, that you didn't just cover my sins in the past and in the present, Lord, but you covered all my sins, past, present, and future. And there's nothing that we can do that will separate us from the love we have in Christ. 
That's a truth I need to hear. I thank you, Lord, that the moment we trust in Jesus, that your spirit comes to live in us, who is the seal and down payment of our inheritance until Christ comes back for the church, which he's gonna do one day where he makes all things new. I thank you for the promise in Philippians 1.6, Lord, that you are going to finish the work that you started in us. That our salvation is kept in your hands, not our own strength or our own merit. We cannot lose our salvation. If we could, we would. You've paid it all. That's what you did on the cross. So would you remind me of that? Would you remind each person here of that? And if there's people here, Lord, where they have gone their whole life rejecting you, trusting in themselves and not you, Lord. I pray that you'd open their eyes tonight to see their brokenness and that they are not enough and that they would surrender their life to you and they would look to Jesus and trust in him. We love you, God, and all this is for your glory. We praise you. You're the only one who deserves it. Amen.